This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are, even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. It has been a little while, but we are back here on MLB Morning Coffee, our All-Star Break Edition show. We've got a lot of quick-hitting thoughts. We're going to go around the horn. I'm just going to say a lot that comes to my mind because there's a lot that we have to talk about as we enter one of the most important stretches of this baseball season, and that is the two weeks up until the MLB trade deadline. I want to hit individual teams. I want to hit individual players. I'm going to give a guy that I haven't given enough love on this show to a lot of love today, but I'm also going to counteract that love by questioning some of the decisions that this player's team has made, especially in the last few days. And there are two specific reasons, one baseball-related, one not, that I want to get into. And so I'll start with that team being the Los Angeles Angels and their presumed MVP, Shohei Otani. The next 2-2 home. Oh, he's going to get the jog around the bases! He did it again! He's a beast! I don't think that anybody should be named automatically the MVP in the middle of July, but if he keeps up the pace that he's on, Shohei Otani is going to be the runaway MVP in the American League. At the All-Star break through 84 games, he is hitting 279, but is on base is 364. He has a slugging of 698 and an OPS of 1062, an OPS plus of 178. He's got 33 homers and 70 RBI. He has already passed Hideki Matsui for the most homers by a Japanese-born player in Major League history in a single season. That's in half of a season, and when you watch him play, he just hits bombs. Shohei Otani is finally living up to the superstar status that we were promised when he came over from Japan prior to the 2018 season. He's been really solid on the mound as well. Now granted, 13 starts in 67 innings, that's not a lot of innings, but He has 87 strikeouts in 67 innings of work. He has an ERA of 3.49, a 4-1 record. He's issued 35 walks, which is a little bit higher than you'd want, but he's got a whip of 1.2. His FIP is 3.57. That's fielder's independent pitching percentage, which is effectively your ERA with an average defense. If your FIP is barely higher than your ERA, then that means that you're pretty on point in regards to who you are as a pitcher. And we forget that Shohei Otani did win Rookie of the Year in 2018, but he didn't pitch in 2019 because he needed Tommy John surgery and only pitched 1.2 innings last year. This is the first time that we've seen Otani in his true form, the true two-way superstar, the first guy since Babe Ruth to be doing anything on the level that he's doing. Shohei Otani has a chance to have 60 home runs this year. I think it's realistic. He has the opportunity to hit 60 home runs. He has the opportunity to drive in 130 runs. And if you have power numbers like that, you are the runaway MVP regardless of what your record states. Now, there was a debate many years ago about Miguel Tejada versus Alex Rodriguez, and we did an episode on that way back last year in talking about 
What do you do in regards to a player that's having an outstanding season and naming him an MVP on a team that's not making the playoffs? It's happened a few times, and I think it's going to happen again with the Angels. It's already happened with Mike Trout. The precedent has been set in the last decade that you can vote for a player that's having an outstanding season on a team that's not very good. And to me, it's just remarkable that even if Mike Trout was healthy, the Angels would still probably not be a very good team because they're fundamentally flawed. Their roster structure does not emphasize pitching outside of Otani. And Otani, at this point, being a guy that has recovered from Tommy John surgery, they're not going to empty the tank on him. That's somebody that you have to be careful with because he's that much more valuable on the offensive side four out of the five days that he's not pitching. So if the numbers trend in the way that they are continuing to, Shohei Otani will be the MVP, and that's not something that I would have said a month ago. But after having watched him play a little bit more, it's pretty clear that this guy is so far above and beyond the rest of the league offensively at this point, it would be hard to make a decision other than him as your MVP, and here's hoping he stays healthy. Now to the two other matters that I brought up in the open in regards to the Angels. The first is with the MLB first-year player draft. Kumar Rocker was still on the board at pick number nine when the Angels were selecting on Sunday night. Kumar Rocker was one of the top two starting pitching prospects in the 2021 MLB draft behind his teammate, Jack Leiter, the son of former MLB lefty Al Leiter. Jack Leiter went number two overall to the Texas Rangers. A lot of people thought that Kumar Rocker was going to be selected with the sixth overall pick by the Arizona Diamondbacks. They decided to go shortstop a guy by the name of Jordan Lawler from Jesuit Prep in Texas. Then the Royals, everybody thought they were going to take Rocker at seven. They went with a high school lefty, Frank Mozzicato. Then pick number eight, the Colorado Rockies, and who knows what they're going to do because they're always a wild card. They go with Benny Montgomery, who is an outfielder from Redland High School in Pennsylvania. Then pick number nine. This seems like a very likely scenario for the Angels to pick Kumar Rocker, who would help add to an organization that does not have much starting pitching depth. And what do they do? They decide to go with a right-handed college arm, not named Kumar Rocker. His name's Sam Bachman from Miami, Ohio. Now, Sam Bachman may end up being a very good pitcher, but he does not have the same talent as Kumar Rocker, who went the very next pick to the New York Mets. Artie Moreno is worth a billion dollars, multi-billion dollars. Money should not be an issue. You rebranded yourselves from the Anaheim Angels to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim to eventually the Los Angeles Angels. You are putting yourself in the LA TV market. You should be willing to spend the money to sign a guy who more than likely should have gotten top five money. Now the Mets, who are also owned by a multi-billionaire, are going to be willing to shell out top five money for somebody that more than likely, if you're going based on merit alone, should have been a top three draft pick. That's what everybody thought about Kumar Rocker prior to the 2020 college season. That's what we saw from him in the 2019 college season. And to me, it doesn't really make much sense that they decided to wait that long, all of these teams, to make selections that, regardless of your positional need, were not the right one. You have somebody like Kumar Rocker on the board who could be a major league pitcher this year if a team were to fast-track him that way. 
You take that guy. You don't pass up on that guy. You don't bark over dollars and cents or a few million dollars based on whatever his slot value is. That's a guy that can help your rotation potentially even next year. He's as major league ready as anybody in the draft. So the fact that the Angels, given the opportunity to pick him, given how weak their minor league system is in regards to pitching, and they passed on him, that's a poor decision. And another poor decision was axing one of your major league play-by-play voices at the All-Star break. So the Angels made a big deal about hiring Matt Vaskersian as their play-by-play voice when Victor Rojas decided that he was going to move on to a minor league baseball front office. Now, Vaskersian can't do all of the Angels games because he has work to do with ESPN on Sunday Night Baseball and with MLB Network as a part of their studio shows. So they hired former Arizona Diamondbacks play-by-play voice and the son of Don Sutton, Darren Sutton, who is a very good play-by-play broadcaster and somebody that, in my opinion, calls a great game. This is from Sam Blum of The Athletic, and this crossed my timeline yesterday. Blum tweets out, The Angels let go of play-by-play voice Darren Sutton yesterday, he told reporters. He said it was a surprise and that his tenure with the Angels was definitely more of a trial or test than I understood. He also said he thanked everyone at Bally for the opportunity and enjoyed every second of it. The Angels just did Darren Sutton completely dirty. If you wanted to make a change, I understand that, but you don't do it in the middle of the season. Darren Sutton is picking up the slack where you hired a broadcaster in Matt Vaskersian that you knew could not work a majority of your games and, by the way, is calling all of the games from New Jersey. Darren Sutton lives on the West Coast. He lives in Arizona, and he probably moved to Anaheim prior to the season. This is not something that you do to anybody working in media, not only in the middle of the season, but in the middle of their first season. I don't understand the Angels' philosophy behind this, but I hope that Darren Sutton finds himself another Major League Baseball play-by-play gig at some point in the future because he's very good at his job and he deserves it. The Angels absolutely screwed him over. That is 1,000% what you do not do when managing your employees. The obvious emotion of getting injured in Miami with a full-out attempt to catch that sinking line drive from Jazz Chisholm. He's injured his knee to the extent we don't know, and the Marlins will have to bring out the cart to help carry him off the field. Yeah, baseball's a fickle thing. You look at some of the things he's gone through this year, getting hit in the wrist, other things that you think were much worse, and... Sometimes it's as easy as just landing like he did. Over the weekend, Braves star outfielder Ronald Acuna Jr. tore his ACL after crashing into a wall. He is out for the season and thus continues the downward spiral of a team that a lot of people thought would be contending for the 2021 NL pennant. The Atlanta Braves, even prior to the Acuna injury, are one of the more disappointing teams in all of baseball. At the All-Star break, they sit at 44 and 45, and yet they're only four games back of the first-place New York Mets. The National League East is a division to where you don't know if teams are going to be buyers or sellers. But for the Atlanta Braves, they now find themselves in a very odd position. Another power-hitting outfielder, Marcelo Zuna, is still injured, and Major League Baseball may not let him back on the field this year because of his domestic violence arrest back at the end of May. 
Freddie Freeman is having a solid season, but nowhere close to the MVP-type campaign that he put up a year ago. With Ronald Acuna Jr. out for the season, it is really important for the Braves to decide what they want to do at the trade deadline. Even if they find a way to win the division, and I don't think they will because the Mets are a much better team at this point than the Braves, can they really beat somebody like a San Francisco or a Los Angeles or Milwaukee or San Diego in a best-of-five series? My thought is, probably not. The one benefit that the NL East has over the NL West is that they won't have to play in a wildcard game. The wildcard is going to come from the National League West. It will not come from the NL Central, and it will certainly not come from the National League East. So whoever wins the division, they are guaranteed, at minimum, three games against the other division winner. Because the way that you structure it, the wild card is going to end up playing the NL West winner because that team, more than likely, will have the best record in the National League. So the NL West is basically going to beat each other up, and one of those three teams will end up in the NLCS. So all it would take for the NL East or the NL Central winner to get to the NLCS is to beat that opposing division's winner in a best-of-five series. Right now, it looks like the Mets in the NL East and the Brewers in the NL Central. The Reds are not out of it yet, and neither the Braves nor the Phillies nor the Nationals at this point are out of it, but Washington, with Kyle Schwarber now on the shelf, is at a severe disadvantage. The Atlanta Braves may as well be sellers because it doesn't make any sense for them to be buyers at this trade deadline. It is very difficult to argue for a team to be buyers, even if they're only four games out of the division race. It's a very hard argument if you're a game under 500. But the NL East is bad enough to where that very well might be the case. And take it for what you will. The Braves have the best run differential in the NL East at plus 19. The second best, the Miami Marlins at plus 17, and yet they are 11 games under 500 at this point. It's been a weird couple of weeks for Miami Marlins starter Pablo Lopez. Shout out to Pablo, friend of the show, friend of mine from back in his minor league days in Clinton, Iowa. Pablo was ejected after one pitch in his July 2nd start at Atlanta for throwing at Ronald Acuna Jr. It wasn't intentional. Knowing Pablo, it wasn't intentional, but he was ejected after throwing just one pitch. His last start, which came on Sunday, he set a major league record for striking out the first nine batters in a single game. It's the most batters struck out by any pitcher to start a game in MLB history. So congrats to you, Pablo Lopez, for having two really odd things happen against the same team in the span of nine days. But you know what? Baseball's a weird game sometimes. Pablo, by the way, is having a great season for the Marlins. He's 5-5 five and five with a 3.03 ERA. In 101 innings of work, he has struck out 111 to just 25 walks. After throwing a combined no-hitter against the L.A. Dodgers on June 22nd, the Chicago Cubs were in first place in the National League Central Division. And then they lost 11 in a row. The Cubs are a team that thought they could compete this year despite having traded away their best pitcher, Cy Young runner-up from last year in Yu Darvish. The Cubs optically looked bad for trading Darvish, in which they got Zach Davies 
and four very low-level prospects in return. They also gave away Victor Caratini, who was one of the best backup catchers in the National League over the past couple of years and has proven to be a huge asset for the San Diego Padres. One of the most telling things about the Cubs losing streak, their closer Craig Kimbrell during that streak pitched to one batter. Eric Sogard, a utility infielder, pitched to 12 batters during that losing streak. That tells you all you need to know. The Chicago Cubs built themselves up into one of the best teams in the National League from 2015 until 2019. Behind a core of Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, and Anthony Rizzo, three of the most beloved players in the history of that franchise. All three of them are going to be free agents after the upcoming season, and it is more than likely that one, if not two of them, will be traded before the July 31st deadline. It's very sad to see the era come to an end in the way that it did because the Cubs somewhat competed for a division this year before that 11-game losing streak. They're now so far out of it, they really don't have a chance to get back in it. The Cubs, despite that core, have a bunch of offensive flaws. They have a big money player in Jason Hayward that's hitting 190 and they can't get rid of him. Ian Happ, a player that was a first-round pick in 2015, is having a really down year after having a very solid 2020 season. This era of the Cubs is over. It's just a matter of what they will get in return for these players and if they want to keep some of the core that helped win them that 2016 World Series. My guess is, is that Chris Bryan is out the door prior to the 2021 MLB trade deadline. If they get a good return for Javi Baez, he might be out the door as well. The one guy to watch is Wilson Contreras, and here's why. He has another year on his contract after this year, and catching is at a premium across Major League Baseball. The Cubs could hold teams for a king's ransom in exchange for a year and a half of Wilson Contreras, which is why I feel like he's an asset that could go first before anybody else on that team. After a really bad 2019 and a rough start to 2020, Craig Kimbrell is back to his all-star form, and because of those reasons, and because teams always need to add relief pitching at the deadline, he will absolutely be out the door. Rest in peace to the competitive era of the Chicago Cubs. It is time to blow it up and start over. If we are talking about disappointments of the 2021 MLB season, the New York Yankees have to stand right at the top. They are 46-43 and at the All-Star break, and along with the Toronto Blue Jays, stand eight games back of the first-place Boston Red Sox and six-and-a-half games back of the second-place Tampa Bay Rays in the American League East Division. The Yankees almost swept the Houston Astros in Houston over the weekend, but the Astros had a four-run comeback in the ninth inning to avoid a sweep at the hands of the Yankees. This is an amazing stat put out by Buster Olney of ESPN. MLB teams are 493-2 when leading by four-plus runs entering the ninth inning this season. The Yankees are responsible for both losses. That would be on Sunday against the Astros and June 30th against the Angels, a game that we recapped on our last episode a couple of weeks ago. So, the New York Yankees are a team that can't close the door, they can't stay healthy, and they just quite frankly are not very good. However, it's the Yankees. They will never admit sell at the trade deadline because they believe, with what they've invested in that team, that they can still find a way to win. They're four and a half games out of the second wildcard spot, 
which is currently held by the Oakland Athletics, who are 52-40. and 40. The A's are three and a half games back of the division, but you also have to look at the other teams that are ahead of the Yankees right now for that second wild card. They trail not only the A's, but the Mariners, the Blue Jays, and the Indians, the latter two of which they're tied with. That's a lot for New York to overcome, and they're clearly no better than the third best team in their own division because when you look at it, the Red Sox and the Rays are just clearly better teams. Look at the run differentials of the top three teams in the American League East and then look at the Yankees. The Red Sox are plus 57, the Rays are plus 85, the Blue Jays are plus 72, the Yankees are plus one. What that tells you? is that the Yankees are not very good and that they should sell, but they probably won't because they're the Yankees and they don't want to sell. While we're on the subject of the Yankees, let's take a listen to something that has gone around the broadcast world in the past couple of days. Now here is Judge. Man, the breaking ball is hit in the air to deep left. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Unfortunately, that was a replay of the home run, but it was a good replay. Hmm. Hey, I'm sorry. It's on the monitor. What what am I supposed to do? This is a great way to do a game, isn't it? Yep. Yep. So John Sterling, the radio voice of the Yankees, was looking down, and then he looked up at his monitor and thought that Aaron Judge had hit a home run, his second of the game, last week against the Seattle Mariners. However, it turned out, It was a TV replay of a home run he had hit earlier in the game. There is a lot of bureaucracy in place when it comes to whether or not TV crews are going to be able to travel. Radio crews can travel as long as their team has reached the 85% vaccination threshold. I know that the White Sox have been traveling on pretty much every road trip since the middle of May, and there are several other radio crews that are doing the same thing. You can tell that John Sterling and Susan Waldman are angry that they're not able to travel at this point. The big sticking issue that a lot of people have brought up is that fans are in the ballpark without masks at 100% capacity, and yet broadcasters, of which the maximum you'll put on a traveling broadcast crew, which would be producer, sound engineer, and your talent, would be four. So it's not okay for broadcasters to travel, but it's okay for fans to pack the yard not knowing whether or not all of them have been vaccinated. It's a double standard, and it's one that Major League Baseball broadcasters are tired of. I've called games off of a monitor. It's really not fun. It's a really difficult thing to do. It is a lot easier and a lot more fun to call a baseball game when you're at the baseball game. There are a lot of radio crews, by the way, that are still not traveling, John Sterling and Susan Waldman being just one of them. But I also feel like it's a money thing at this point. They have the ability to send their TV crews on the road. They just don't want to because it costs more money. TV productions are not cheap. So if they can save money by keeping a bunch of people at their home ballparks, they're going to do that. They can use COVID as a cover at this point. But if ballparks are full, the reason why broadcasters are not traveling is because of money and because the regional sports networks and the teams don't want to pay for the production value that comes with putting a full crew on the road. Finally, I want to discuss what's going on with Dodgers right-hander Trevor Bauer. 
He had a seven-day administrative leave extended for him by Major League Baseball, and there's no timetable for when he is going to return to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, since we last talked to you, which was on the 1st of July, Bauer has not only had his administrative leave extended, but the following things have happened. His merchandise has been pulled from all Dodgers merchandising websites. His bobblehead day, which was scheduled for, I believe, the 19th of August, has been canceled. And several teammates, including Justin Turner and Cody Bellinger, have unfollowed him on all social media platforms. It is pretty clear that Trevor Bauer has become more of a pariah in his own clubhouse than he even was before all of this came about. There's a lot more that is going to unfold in the sexual assault allegation investigation against Bauer, and his teammates want nothing to do with him. The Dodgers, despite the fact, and it's their own mistake, that they paid him that kind of money because you could see how much of a troublemaker he might be. But the Dodgers didn't care because he was coming off a Cy Young season with the Cincinnati Reds. And it turns out, that Trevor Bauer may have been using more substances than almost anybody in baseball, save for, say, Garrett Cole, and he's another issue that we'll get into on a different show. But Trevor Bauer is not only not the same pitcher that he was in Cincinnati, he is clearly more of a clubhouse cancer than he ever was before in either Cincinnati or Cleveland. I think that the Dodgers are going to try their absolute best to make sure they can get out of this contract, but as far as this year is concerned, I think the Dodgers want to move on without Trevor Bauer. They want nothing to do with him at this point. It does them no good to have him anywhere near their premises. And as long as they can get Clayton Kershaw back off of the IL, the Dodgers are going to be just fine. They've got Walker Buehler, they've got Julio Urias, and they've got more depth in the minor leagues, even though they've lost... Bauer, at this point Kershaw, and Dustin May for the season. The Dodgers are going to be just fine without Trevor Bauer, and hopefully for their sake, they realize that sooner than later, and I think for most of them, including manager Dave Roberts and their teammates, they know that they're better off without Bauer this season, and it will take until after the All-Star break for Major League Baseball to decide what they're going to do with Bauer moving forward in the next two weeks to the next month. A lot still to play out in this situation in particular. That's it for this edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Remember, write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe to the show. And coming soon, probably after the All-Star Game, we are going to have our buy or sell special where we are going to go through rosters, we're going to go through contracts, and we are going to tell you whether or not a certain team should buy or sell and what targets certain teams should have in regards to acquiring players that more than likely are going to be traded. We're going to talk definitely about Trevor Story. We're going to for sure talk about Chris Bryant. I think we'll also talk about Adam Frazier from the Pirates, Eduardo Escobar from the Diamondbacks, and others that are more than likely going to be on the move in the next two weeks. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. We will talk to you either after the Home Run Derby or after the All-Star Game. But whenever we come to you next, we will always let you know that we are MLB Morning Coffee a production of Athletes Unfiltered, and recorded at the Ocean Avenue Studios. Wait a minute, one more piece of news before we go, and I can't really put this at the beginning of the episode, but it's in regards to Shohei Otani. Per Jeff Passan of ESPN, he is going to be the starting pitcher for the American League in the All-Star Game on Tuesday night, 
and they will, in a college style, bat him as the DH in the leadoff spot. So he will be the pitcher DH for the American League in the leadoff spot. Pretty darn cool that Shohei Otani will get to start the All-Star game in the lineup and on the pitcher's mound. All right, that's it. That's all. We'll talk to you soon.